This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Quinnen Williams, nose tackle, Alabama. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today, we are joined by longtime co-host of this podcast, Dalvin Asario. We are going to talk all things Joe Douglas, the newly hired New York Jets GM. News came through Friday night. Uh, Dalvin had a great article on our site over the weekend about it. I will have an article about it uh, today. This podcast will run on Tuesday, and then we're going to have another podcast talking even more about Douglas on Thursday with Connor Rogers. So, it's Joe Douglas week at Turn on the Jets. We're happy there's a new general manager, and we're going to talk all about it. As a reminder, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes. Let's get up to 600 ratings now that we passed 500. Uh, available on Spotify, Google Play, TurnOnTheJets.com. Give Dalvin a follow on Twitter at DA underscore Sario. Give me a follow on Twitter at JCaparoso. Uh, there's no shortage of things to talk about. Usually this is the quiet time of the year, but that certainly has not been the case in this year for the Jets. So, Dalbin, Jets made this decision Friday night. Comes a couple hours after it is announced that the Texans have surprised everyone and fired their general manager, leading to a brief few hours of panic and hysteria that they were going to lose Joe Douglas to the Texans because these negotiations had dragged on for a while despite him being the perceived front runner. How big of a gap do you think there was between Douglas and the other three candidates that they were looking at? Now, I know we never know exactly how good someone's going to be as a general manager until they're in the role. A lot of it is kind of guesswork. But I thought, on paper at least, and from a seeming reputation standpoint, which could ultimately mean nothing. We don't know. You know, Sometimes being popular in lead circles doesn't really mean anything. It did seem that Douglas was the best candidate available by a decent margin. What did you think that gap was? Yeah, I mean, for starters, I should preface this by saying that just because we like the hire doesn't mean that we can't criticize it if something goes wrong or if, or, if, or if he does something that we don't like. I feel like that needs to be said nowadays. Um, I think the gap between him and, and Champ Kelly was the biggest uh, was the, uh, because I had Kelly ranked as the, as the number two guy on the list after, after Joe Douglas. I think that gap was pretty big just because I think what you saw with Kelly was much more of a Mike McCagden kind of thing where he, he had been you know a really well-regarded scout and then he had gotten uh, where he was, but he was still very much in charge of the college scouting aspect for the Chicago Bears. And I thought that had they gone that route, I was very concerned that we were going to get a Mike McCagnan sequel. You had hoped that he would have learned from, from guys like Ryan Pace, who he had worked under, um, in terms of just being able to construct the whole team. But I did have my concerns with that. I thought that Douglas hit all the boxes that you want to hit. And I know Rich Simony came out and said, that Douglas wasn't really a fan of analytics. And, Joe, I, and I hinted at this in my article, and I'm glad that I get to talk more about it with you. I, in everything that I read in terms of just his background and his role in the, Eagles, uh, in the Eagles front office and in the Ravens front office, he seemed to be a guy that absolutely understood the value of all three tenets of modern team building, and that was analytics, traditional scouting, and also the character part of it, which I think goes on goes unheralded a lot of the times with these general managers but I think with him he hits all three all three of those boxes 
He's a guy that came from the Howie Roseman and Ozzy Newsome tree, which that alone, I mean, I think that gives him a certain pedigree that Chad Kelly didn't have. And then looking at a guy like Terry Fontenot and, and Fitterer, Fitterer represented, again, more of a McCagnan guy, like with a little bit more of a hands-on in terms of the team-building aspect. And Fontenot was almost the complete opposite of that. Not really a scout per se, much more on the pro side. And I think Douglas just picked enough. That's why the gap for me between Douglas and Kelly was so big because Douglas checked all three boxes, and that's why the gap was even bigger between Douglas and the other two candidates that they were down to. Even though today um, it came out in, mo- in Monday Morning Quarterback that they were actually the Jets were actually negotiating with Fitterer up until the point that they were negotiating with Douglas, which lets you know that they thought much more highly of Fitterer than even I did. But I think the gap was pretty substantial. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Just because Douglas has sort of that more traditional like scouting tape grinder background doesn't mean that he is not open-minded or would not embrace more forward-thinking team building and more usage of analytics. And I think you can't work for the Eagles and be Howie Roseman's number two guy for four or five years without picking that up. And I think Roseman's a really good example of somebody who had some ups and downs throughout his career, really lost power to Chip Kelly and stuck with it, learned and evolved and got it back and has built his team in a variety of different ways. If you look at the Eagles and their path to success, they've drafted well, they've made smart trades uh, for current NFL players. Uh, They've done good work in free agency. They've been very aggressive at times. They've been very patient at times. It's been sort of a mix and match and you want to be – hybrid in how you approach these things you want it's just like when you're building an offensive game plan you don't want to just have one strategy we do it this way and we only do it this way you want to be open-minded in how you evolve and how you build your team and i think a long time in baltimore under ossie newsome who's you know one of the best front office guys in the league over the past few decades and then going to the eagles over the past few years as the league has continued to evolve and picking up some of the things that they changed and they learned and how they've built their team different every year would seem to indicate that he's somebody who's going to be open-minded to a variety of approaches and should be more comfortable on the pro side of things and in terms of building and managing an entire infrastructure around him, which seemed to really be McCagnan's problem. McCagnan really just wanted to go on the road and scout, uh, was not right. shy about delegating huge chunks of things to a guy in Heimerdinger who was in his early 30s, which is a lot to ask out of him, and then never really built up the ne- necessary talent around him. You know, he lost Rex Hogan early in his tenure. He was never really properly replaced. The Jets never built out a traditional or formal analytics department, and they sort of fell into their very siloed way of doing things that, that wasn't working. And I think with Douglas, it's going to be very interesting to see who he adds, I don't think there's going to be a ton of surprises here. He's going to talk to guys he worked with in Baltimore, talk to guys he worked with in Philadelphia. There's been some Todd McShay, Daniel Jeremiah rumors. I don't think either of those are going to happen. We know he might also took to Phil Savage, who uh, has spent some time with the Browns and has bounced around plenty of other uh, roles within the league. But I think this is a really unique opportunity with a six-year contract and the amount they invested in him to do the work that really needs to be done here in terms of gutting out what's left of a scouting department that has not worked well over the past 10 years and then building out the necessary personnel and analytics 
executives around him uh, to get the infrastructure in place that this team needs to succeed. Who is going to be that head of pro personnel? Who's going to lead college scouting? Who's going to be the assistant head of player personnel? How do you go get the guy that you worked with that impressed you in a previous organization and build in that way so you have enough voices in the room that are challenging each other so you could be more forward-thinking draft weekend? So we know they're going to talk to Savage. We know they're going to talk to Chad Alexander, who's been with the Ravens for forever. Um, I'm just, you know, when you're looking at resumes, what are some things that when you look at, oh, the Jets are talking to this guy to join their front office, what are some of the traits or the previous experiences or things that you're hoping kind of jump off the page? Sure, yeah. I mean, so so two things real quick about Chad Alexander. So I, I tweeted this when I saw his name surface. I actually got to meet him because obviously uh, everybody should know by now. I live down in Maryland. And so I got to meet him at a fundraiser for a mutual friend. Uh, and so that was actually pretty cool. And I'm one of the brightest uh, football minds that I've ever had the pleasure of speaking to. Um, second only to you, Joe. You know, that this isn't just me trying to keep my job for the upcoming season. But I, I, I really enjoyed the fact, like, one of the things that he said to me that I remember st- stand out to me that he learned from Ozzie Newsom was that everybody wants to make football harder than it needs to be. And the, the cure-all is you can never have enough good players. And I thought that, that was such a simplistic way of viewing it because here it is, like a lot of guys are like, oh, no, well, we need this kind of pass rusher. Or we need this kind of running back. And realistically, like the Jets for so long have just needed an influx of talent, right? Like there has not been a good team at a lot of levels for a really, really long time. And so adding a guy like Alexander who can simplify what it means to build a team and who has experience working with Joe Douglas, I think would be huge. I think he'd be a good guy. I think one, I would love one of the things that I thought worked really well with the Jets, I thought Rod Graves did a really good job of just being a, an experienced GM for a first-time GM in John Isaac, who he could bounce ideas from and who had a really good understanding of the salary cap. So I would really like to see Joe Douglas surround himself with people who have done this job before because, again, he signed up for the long haul, as you mentioned. It's a six-year deal. This isn't going to be a one-and-done thing where you fire him next year because the season torpedoes out of control. I want to see him have somebody that he can lean on because he has had these really good mentors in Howie Roseman and Ozzie Newsom, but a guy like Phil Savage would be a good get because it's a guy that has been through all this and savage again he bounced around in cleveland but that's that's one of the hardest fan bases to please so at the very least he was somebody that understands what it's like to please a hard fan base i think in terms of resume building they had mentioned that he might try to poach andrew weed from 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 philly i think that would be a really good get because again that's a guy who leans more to the analytics side and you want to build a well-balanced front office too much of what mike mccagnan did and somebody had asked connor this and I'm glad that you're going to have him on. Hopefully he can touch on this. Somebody had asked him, they were like, oh, well, what, what, what first-time GM ever gets all this money to rebuild the scouting department? And people forget that the Jets gave Mike McCagnin that type of power when he first started. They, told, they gave him a blank check, let him hire all these great scouts. But that's all they were. They were great scouts like Rex Hogan, who you mentioned. I want to see Douglas build a 21st century front office. So I'm looking for guys that absolutely understand what it takes to build a modern, successful team, a hybrid team that can win different ways. And somebody who absolutely understands that not only do you plan for right now, but you plan long term. Because one of the one of McCagnin's biggest downfalls is that he the reason the Jets had to use so much cap space in his first offseason and then now is because he hasn't drafted well. And you want to be able to be a team that withstands losses to the top of your roster by building out a real quality middle class of your roster. And Joe Douglas seems to get that because look at the Eagles. The Eagles lost a perennial MVP quarterback in Carson Wentz and went and won the Super Bowl because they had Nick Foles. They go and they and they realize, oh man, we really need to upgrade the running back position. So what do they do? They go and get Jordan Howard, somebody 
who a, a coach in Chicago and Matt Nagy couldn't use because allegedly he didn't have good hands. But but the Eagles saw value in him and went and got him. The Eagles also said, man, we really need somebody who can stretch the field vertically. So what did they do? They went and got Deshaun Jackson, one of the best vertical threats in the league. You want a forward-thinking front office, not a reactionary front office, because too often under John Isik and under Mike McCagan, the Jets have been too reactionary. So I'd like to see guys that come from those kind of front offices, like the Baltimore Ravens, who I think are very forward-thinking. I think Eagles, maybe somebody like the Rams, who Joe, who Joe Douglas has crossed paths with before. I think you want to see people like that build out the front office. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I think the diversity of backgrounds and approaches is is what is key. And I think you need to have people who are going to be coming at this from different angles and be challenging each other. And roster building is an evolving process in the NFL. And I'm very curious to see how this team evolves and how they utilize their resources. I think 2019 this season, it's going to be hard for Douglas to have too many fingerprints all over it. The draft is over. Free agency is over. Even a handful of moves after the draft are over. There's only so much they can do at this point that's going to really directly impact the 2019 roster and the 2019 season. does not mean they can't lay the groundwork for things that are going to start happening that impact the 2020, the 2021, the 2022 team. But if you look at how the Jets have invested and spent, and we've referenced this before, there's been a lot of trying to get bigger while the rest of the league is getting faster and a lot of building up the middle, particularly on their defense. Ton of resources invested in interior defensive linemen, ton of resources invested into inside linebacker, ton of resources invested into safety. Not so much when it comes to investing in edge cornerback outside of the likely miss of the Tremaine Johnson contract. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, offensive line just it has never been a big enough focus area. You know, Michael Lombardi, you know, hammered this point home over and over again when we talked to him last week. And it's one of the most damning stats about the McCagnan era. The Jets never took an offensive lineman until they took Chumo Odega in the third round before the fifth round prior to that over the first four drafts. So you had Jarvis Harrison taken in the fifth round. He never played a snap here. And they had Brandon Shell, who was a, a, day, a late day three pick as well. Beyond that, they didn't take any offensive linemen. Uh, and it wasn't a position they were able to do a ton of work with around in free agency. So even adding Colecchio Semele, there's still a lot of work needed to that unit. So I'm curious to see from a positional focus how did the Jets change where and how they allocate resources? Would Joe Douglas have given C.J. Mosley right. $18 million a year to play inside linebacker, or would he have been more focused on the edge market? Would he have gotten tied up in the Anthony Barr negotiations and trying to switch positions for him? Would he have been more focused on signing Mitch Morse or signing Matt Paradis or looking for another proactive way to address the center position? Those glaring holes that I think still may hold the Jets back somewhat in 2019 that it might be too little too late to fix them for this season. Hopefully they're fixed for the year after. It's going to be curious to see how a new front office prioritizes those positions, both from a draft pick standpoint and from a salary cap standpoint. So, you know, I think we can look at trends and what he did when he was in Philadelphia or when he was in Baltimore. It's obviously a little different when you're making the final decisions and uh, you're not on somebody else's staff. So I'm very curious to see, A, if they make any notable moves before the regular season, B, 
how that draft capital is used last year and if there is an aggressive move to maybe acquire more of it. And then based on what free agent flexibility they'll have, and they'll probably have 30 to $50 million to throw around depending on how they maneuver their contracts, where they focus that spending on. Are you expecting... I'm tempering expectations with this, but are you expecting any yeah. sort of major notable moves before week one of the regular season? Well, so two, real quick, you mentioned the offensive line focus, right? And it's interesting comparing the McCagnan era versus when Adam Gates was in Miami. They drafted Laramie Tunsil. They also drafted Juwan James. That's two first-round offensive linemen. And they had Marquis Pouncey also at center. So, I mean, that there were resources invested into that offensive line. So you're right. I mean, I couldn't imagine Adam Gates saying, hmm, Maybe we can go in with just these guys, <laughs> with just these guys, based off what he had in Miami, um, and also based off what Douglas had in Philadelphia. But I think two two moves that I think the Jets could make, and and I think that they could make them based off the fact that they have the they have the cap space to absorb a big contract, and they they could in theory, if their plan is to be picking in the mid teens next year, then you could trade back and acquire more picks. So before the draft, I think you could I, before the regular season, I think you could expect a Robbie Anderson contract extension. I, I He seems like a guy who is very much entrenched in the Jets culture, and I know we use that word a lot because the culture has been changed every year for the last seven years, but he's a guy that has a good rapport with Sam, with Sam Darnold, is a guy that I think Adam Gates is going to get a really, really great season out of Joe because I think you saw him use Albert Wilson in different ways, and Robbie Anderson is about ten times the receiver that Albert Wilson is, so I think there's a chance for a breakout year, and I think Joe Douglas will be proactive in paying him before that breakout year, very similar to how he saw Howie Roseman take a chance on Alshon Jeffrey with a one-year $12 million deal when he was a free agent, and before that season was up, when the faith was rewarded, he paid him then. So that's one. So that's an in-house move. The second move is a trade for Lions cornerback Darius Slay. And I know a lot of people are going to say, well, what? That's so crazy. Like, he's going to want $15, $16 million, and you can't pay two corners $30, $33 million. Yes, you can, because realistically, the Jets are banking on two things this off- this this uh, this regular season defensively. It's that Quentin Williams can get pressure from the nose or, the, or, or one of the defensive end positions, that he can get enough pressure that, again, Tremaine Johnson doesn't have to be on an island all the time, or that Greg Williams can manufacture enough pressure with smoke and mirrors that he doesn't have to be on an island all the time. I would feel much more comfortable with Darius Slay being the number one corner and him being left on an island, and I really think that the Jets, I know a lot of fans are like, well, it's only the first season, maybe it's not a playoff season, but I really believe that this team is approaching this season like they have to make the playoffs this year, given the schedule that they have, the fact that it's year two of Sam Donald's rookie year. Keep in mind, the Eagles made the playoffs and won, and, and won the Super Bowl in Carson Wentz's second year. Joe Douglas saw that happen. I do not think that this is a just a fly-by year, and I think he's going to be aggressive in making that splash move to get Greg Williams another corner because I do not believe that there is a way that the Jets go into the season with Tremaine Johnson, Daryl Roberts, and Brian Poole as their top three corners. The depth chart is very, very thin behind there. Um, so those would be the two moves that I see, man, because I think they can fix Slay's contract under under their current cap space and not have it impact their future cap space too drastically. And I think if they have aspirations to make it to the playoffs, they realize, listen, we're going to be picking top 18 in a in a quarterback-heavy draft class next year, so there's going to be an opportunity to trade back and acquire more picks in order to recoup a pick that we trade for Darius Slay. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I don't think taking that big type of swing, particularly at one of these major positions of need, is is fully off the table because they do still have some cap yep. flexibility and they do still have some draft capital. They got... All, all of their picks for next year. And I think they actually also they have an extra pick uh, as well on right. top of that. So they have 
you know, a little flexibility and potentially to move maneuver that way. I'm also going to be curious to see in sort of the middle class and bottom half of the roster, who are some people who might have been, you know, McCagden scholarship players that might not be so safe on that final 53 anymore. I look at guys like Trenton Cannon, like Foley, Fat Yukasi, like Nathan Shepard, uh, like Parry Nickerson. Uh, are all those guys necessarily guaranteed to have a roster spot? How much longer is a guy like Jeremy Clark around? Uh, are some of these other guys who were draft picks from the previous regime uh, but haven't really made any type of notable impact yet? And I think even this was even before you know Douglas was locked, but minor thing, but the Jets not sitting on their hands at running back behind Le'Veon Bell and saying, we're going to be okay with McGuire and Cannon because you know they're late-round draft picks that we're – excited about their potential development when really those are guys who only played because they were on a really bad team and there were a lot of injuries in front of them and did not play particularly well outside of McGuire doing a good job catching the football out of the backfield. The fact that they didn't sit on their hands and went and got two veterans that if Le'Veon Bell is slow reacclimating to being an NFL player or he gets banged up, they now have Montgomery, they have Powell, guys who could be a lead back for a game or two uh, and that does not guarantee anything for McGuire and Cannon. Even from a special teams perspective, Montgomery can return kicks. They added an undrafted free agent in Dorch who could potentially return punts. Jamison Crowder could return punts. So there's no guaranteed roster spots anymore for guys who were draft picks 2017, 2018, uh, you know, 2019. Obviously, all these guys are you know going to get a crack who they added. Uh, but I'm curious to see if there's a little more turnover there along the lines of how they moved on from Lee, how they moved on from Leggett, uh, and how they weren't shy at some of those other positions. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I think overall the Jets are getting what I think is deserved praise for this decision. They Douglas was the name we've heard for a while. He was the guy they wanted. They went above and beyond to get the deal done when there was it looked like for a while it might not happen. And... The process of them getting to this spot where they have Sam Darnold, where they have Le'Veon Bell, and where they have Joe Douglas now rebuilding their front office, it was not some perfect four-dimensional chess plan. It was not planned out to work in this way. It did. There was plenty of bumps along the way. It doesn't mean that now it finally found a way to all click and come together, and they may actually be able to turn the corner. Like It wasn't the Jets' first plan A to get Sam Darnold. They wanted Kirk Cousins to take $90 million guaranteed from them. He didn't. They were able to trade up. The Giants didn't take Saquon Barkley, and it worked out that they got or the Giants took Saquon Barkley. It worked out they were able to get Sam Darnold. You know, their general manager originally wanted to keep Mike McCagnan. He hired Adam Gase. There was able to be enough pressure. They end up moving on from him, and they're able to land the guy they want in Douglas. But before McCagnan left, he felt enough pressure to go pay Levy on Bell and not hesitate about it. So it worked out in that I think the Jets got... They're not all the way there yet, but they've made enough incremental progress where they should definitely be better than they were a year ago. I don't know if they're going to be ready to make that jump this year, but long term, I think they're going to be in a net, net, much better shape by having Douglas be their general manager than McCagnon. So even if they had to take some offseason heat and offseason headlines, and even if Adam Gase doesn't really end up being the head coach who gets them there... Douglas, I think, will have a longer rope and more time to kind of build. So it might be a situation where all things, you know, work work out in the end. Uh, I mean, what would, before we wrap, what would your counter be to someone who said, 
Everything I'm hearing about Douglas, I heard about Mike McCagnum when the Jets hired him. He was this well-thought-of scout, uh, spent a lot of time with an organization who had some success, very popular in league circles. Why is this any different? Why should I be confident that the Jets really turned a page at general manager when they've been bad at general manager for you know six, seven, eight, nine years? Man, it really hasn't been that long, right? It feels like. Um, I think for me, my counter is that the difference, I think, between Mike McCagnin and and Joe Douglas is, is tenfold. I think that you're, it'd be the equivalent of saying that Harold Miner, because he's a because he's as good a dunker as Michael Jordan is a better player. I think that's the equivalent. And and we all know that Harold Miner is nowhere close to the player that Michael Jordan was. I think that you're looking at you're looking at a guy in Douglas who knows what it takes to build Super Bowl winners because he's had a hand in it. it it's interesting because in a lot of ways, John Itzig, because of his hand in building two Super Bowl teams and the Cardinals and then the Seahawks who actually won had more success than Mike McCagnin as a, you know, before being promoted as a general manager. But nobody ever wants to hear that because everybody thinks that Mike McCagnin was like the slam dunk choice, but he was not. Um, I think that, I think that that's the difference. I think you have a guy in Douglas who understands how to build Super Bowl winners. He understands how to build them in different ways. He comes from a tree that has, that again, continue of a front office that continues to evolve and i'm really excited to see what the baltimore ravens do now that Ozzie newsom has moved on because we've heard for so long how good his right hand was and douglas had a hand in building that reputation up and in turn he's benefiting from it now he's so different from mccagden even in just what i've been reading because i went because obviously like for me and joe knew you know this elliot wolf and frank wright were the two guys that i wanted as head coach and general manager and I thought I was, and I went back and read like stuff from McCagnin written around that time. And what a lot of people talked about was, you know, as the guy who's a lifelong scout, and it's a lot of the same things that they were saying about Champ Kelly. And that's where my hesitation came in because I was like, man, I was like, this sounds very familiar. Whereas Douglas, it's very, very different. Does that mean that it's a slam dunk? We don't know. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a move that we look back on and say, wow, they finally got it right. And Joe and and Jeffrey Lurie, you know, I'll leave with this. He said that when that. The Eagles Super Bowl was won the day that they hired Joe Douglas away from Baltimore. And I think that there is a very good chance that Christopher Johnson is saying the same thing when the when Sam Darnold's hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. Because I think one of the things that you have now is a guy that knows how to build this team out, how to take advantage of a, of a quarterback on a rookie deal, because he saw Ozzie Houston do it with Joe Flacco, and he saw Howie Roseman do it with Carson Wentz. And this is a guy that's go, that I think wants to prove that this wasn't a mistake. Because remember, he he could have waited till next year and had his pick of the job. And he took this one because I think he understands both the difficulty of it and he knows that if him and Adam Gates win in New York, they are set for life. And there's something to be said for the general manager and the head coach Stanton that finally ends the Super Bowl drought. And I, I think this is going to be the I think this is the right one. It's not a Mike McCagney move at all. Look, let's hope so. I think Jet fans. <laughs> Should be should be happy and have reason to be optimistic about how this ultimately shook out. I am still not sold on Adam Gase as a head coach, and I still think there could be some rough patches this year with him and Greg Williams. That is the short term. Long term, having the right general manager, who I think ultimately will be the top football guy in the organization, is critical and should lead, hopefully, to some type of sustained success. Uh, and hopefully the Jets got this higher right. Every indication is is that we should feel good about it, and I'm very curious to see what this next wave of moves are and how they kind of build and grow from here. So Bilal Powell's back, Joe Douglas under contract for six years. 
A lot of Jets news in May and June. It's a rarity. Um, yeah. But uh, we're happy to see it. And like Dalvin said, we're going to keep covering everything that we can about Douglas and you know, give him an absolute fair shake. And when he wins and does smart things, we're going to be very, very excited and happy about it. And I just feel like by the law of averages, the Jets have to be getting ready to turn a corner have or have made this higher right after how the last two in the last back half of Tannenbaum's you know, tenure went. So, Dalbin, thank you for joining us. We'll obviously talk again soon as training camp gets a little bit closer. Any final words? Um, yeah, I, I mean, yes, like everything that you said. I mean, we'll, we'll cover the team as fair as we've been. Um, I feel good that we got a general manager that I wanted, so that feels good. Um, but also, honestly, it's, it's just it's one of those things where when when the news broke that he was the guy, I I've, it definitely felt different than when Mike McCagnan was. I can tell you that, and I I definitely think they got it right. And I think yes, I agree with you. I think that we're going to turn a corner, even if Adam Gates is not the guy. I think Joe Douglas may at some point get to choose his own coach. Um, but I I, I think it's going to be a good season. Amen. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This will run on Tuesday. We'll be back Thursday with yet another yet another episode. Make sure to follow Dalbin on Twitter at DA underscore Sario. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Jay Caparoso. And we'll talk to everybody soon.